to another episode of General Assembly, your favorite House Republican podcast. My name is Jason Gottesman, joined once again by Mike Straub, ever upward and onward with our uh, our podcasting adventure here, right? So, look, uh, we got the 48th governor, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, sworn into office this week, Governor Josh Shapiro. Yeah, a governor that a lot of our members, maybe not a lot of our members, but some of our members even uh, crossed paths with when he was a member of the House. So, uh, a, a governor that I think you know, unlike Tom Wolf, who kind of came from the shadows and not a lot of experience. And stayed in the shadows. Right, had to kind of figure out how to be worked with. I mean, and, and he loved to talk about his lack of experience. I don't know. I've only been in politics seven years. I don't understand right. how this stuff works. That's true. Yeah. So can't, Josh Shapiro can't say that. The Governor Shapiro cannot say that. Our members uh, either worked them formally as a member or obviously dealt with his office as the attorney general in different ways normally through the budgetary process. So somebody who you know testified before the Appropriations Committee, somebody who these members know. And so I think it sets us on a different footing as we get into already sort of budget discussions that have to get going very early. Yeah, uh, you know, he, he was sworn into office, uh, along with uh, now Lieutenant Governor Austin Davis. Um, and uh, uh, wait, How old do you think Austin Davis is? And I mean this with all due respect. I really do. He's 33. He, he's 33. <clears throat> I had to text my, my wife, and I was like, just so you know, Lieutenant Governor, younger than us. Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I ever tell you about my barometer for success out in the like the the fake world of celebrity, as uh, Philly's pitcher Cole Hamels. Yeah, uh, him and I are essentially almost to the day, uh, oh, the age wise. And uh, I remember uh, when I was in law school, I was sitting there and I was like, "All right, Cole Hamels, one of the best pitchers in baseball at the time when the Phillies went to the World Series, two thousand seven, two thousand eight." Uh, making millions of dollars, uh, <laughs> married to a uh, former uh, contestant on uh, Survivor, and uh, who oh, at yeah, another point right. was, a, was a model, living his life. And here I am, a law student who literally is taking out loans to live, and I wanted to see how our lives may or may not uh, reach the so, same status at some point. Well, so what you're saying is he's, he's washed up, uh, so you're, and you're still rising. <laughs> right, that's, you know what? You're in you, you yeah. should go work in communications because that is some awesome spin. Uh, Mine is similar. Mine is similar because I went to college with Max Scherzer, uh-huh. uh, from you know, familiar of the program. Cy Young winner. Yeah, and so as long as Max Scherzer is striking people out, I'll still feel young and, and exciting. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as he as he hits, you know, obviously the, the the tail end of his career, and they talk about him as this old cagey veteran still figuring out how to do things. I'm like, well, well wait a minute, we're we're still we're still doing fine. Me and yeah. Max. <laughs> well, uh, you know, to well, well, on those lines, so Austin Davis is only 33. Yes. And Governor Spiro is not even not even 50. Yeah, he's 49. Although, uh, as I said in the last podcast, I'm reading this uh, biography of, of President Grant. He was elected president when he was 46. Oh, fascinating. So at the time, he was the youngest president ever elected. So I was thinking about about how young Josh Pirro was and now thinking about um, how young Ulysses S. Grant was and all the stuff he accomplished in his life up until the point of being elected president, including being uh, general of the United States Army and winning the Civil War. Uh, not uh, small accomplishments. Not small accomplishments. And graduating from West Point. Um, all before his 46th birthday. All before his 46th <laughs> birthday. Uh, 47th birthday, he was elected president of the United States. Uh, so not a bad life. A life, a life well lived. Um, well, I think, I think this, there's a point about some sort of age and um, experience that I think is worth mentioning when you hit these sorts of milestones and that, you know, that the, the, the leaders of Pennsylvania are obviously shifting to, quote, unquote, you know, the next generation. I've told reporters sort of tongue in cheek, so, you know, a story you should do is, uh, speaking about our Republican leader, Brian Cutler, is like, 
as good as he is on the floor, as much as he knows about the process of making laws and policy and everything else, this is a guy who relaxes sometimes with an episode of South Park. And uh, and a few rounds of Call of Duty. Yeah. And so you know this is this is the next generation of Pennsylvania leaders sort of going into these roles. And you know I, as a reporter, and, and I'm sure in your previous time too, Jason, there's there's times when you I would kind of just talk to Josh Shapiro, uh, you know, off the record about his own life and things like that. And I think there's a sense for a lot of us to go. This is a very different kind of leader in a different kind of life experience. And, and part of that is just being a, you know generation. What generation are 49 year olds? Is that I guess that's Gen X. <laughs> yeah, I guess they're not. So, they're not boomers. They're not boomers. They're not millennials. Yeah, I'm um, thinking of my my sister who is older than me. She wouldn't mind me divulging that in the podcast. Was it Gen she y? Would, she'd be Gen X. Is Gen Y out there? Uh, I don't. Th- I think that that age there is that you know those are the teenagers of the late <clears throat> '80s, early '90s, and that's the sort of the Gen X grunge era. Okay. So it'd be, and then I think that kind of showed through in his gala, right? I mean, the yeah. gala event was sort of it turned into sort of this uh, red Meek carpet Mill, who's who, Khalifa. right? Josh Peer on stage with Meek Mill yeah. appreciating his support. The recently pardoned Meek Mill. Right. Don't get me wrong. Tom Wolf loved to act like he was with buddies with Meek Mill, but I don't think Tom Wolf could share the stage with Meek Mill the way that uh, uh, the current governor and his family did. I, I actually, you know, I, I will give a shout out to the Little Shapiros for taking the stage with their enthusiasm and sort of a hysterical kind of like, where are we at in, uh, in Pennsylvania politics now? And, and that's where we're at. Yeah, well, you know, I think you're right. But I think one of the most disappointing things is as a uh, younger leader was the lack of a vision or a mission statement in in his inaugural address. Um, You know, for for how much there's been the trappings of, you know, a different leader. Uh, We were a couple days into the Shapiro administration, and we don't exactly know who that leader is going to be or what that means. There's been one executive order, and I was, I was lamenting with somebody about how something that was a campaign promise that he would do on day one, it wasn't ready to go right after he was inaugurated. They had to wait till they waited till the next day uh, to get it done and start working and start acting. So, you know, knowing who, who Governor Shapiro is uh, a little bit, just, just like you do, uh, and knowing certainly how much he, he has a uh, very specific vision and strategy to lay everything out, I was kind of surprised um, and look, again, going back to, to Grant, because this is all uh, very um, interesting in terms of, of where I am in this book and how things, his inaugural address was widely panned as being just sort of platitudinal and not laying out a vision or a list of proposed accomplishments uh, and stuff like that. It was just like, well, this is kind of who I am, uh, which is what Governor Shapiro was. He didn't set out any goals, no vision, no accomplishments that he wants to get done, didn't make a promise and say, uh, you know, I think as, as you and I were talking about off, offline, Mike, you know, I'm going to go back to my office right now and sign this executive order, uh, make that business number one. Um, it was just a bunch of platitudes and hopeful statements that didn't really offer a roadmap for the future. So we're still left a little bit of questions about who Governor Shapiro is, and maybe that's because he didn't want to offend anybody. He didn't want to upset anybody on his first day uh, and have a speech that was immediately going to divide people upon what he wanted to do, which could have been strategic, uh, and, and, and I'll grant that. But uh, that being said, I think there's still a little bit more wanting from uh, what we can expect from this governor coming up. That's a good point. Uh, not even commentary, just the coverage of the speech immediately following on TV. Uh, one of the local TV stations said live right after it sounded a lot like the speech we heard on election night 
wasn't a real shift. And to your point, not a real shift to policy, uh, goals, ideas, agendas, just sort of, again, the victory speech that he gave in terms of how he wants to sort of be perceived as a leader. And I think that does transition directly to the press conference that we saw the very next day. As you said, didn't get it done on day one, signed an executive order along the lines of not requiring college degrees for certain positions uh, within the state's realm of hiring. Um, and, and in that press conference, sort of made a few different jokes about, I'll get better at this. I'm not quite there yet. We'll see how things go. You know, we had trouble printing. That's why oh, we, yeah, were we were half hour late. Print. Uh, you know, I, you know, which, I don't, don't knock all that. It's kind of, it's kind of some good Well, right, but you would think that your staff, the first thing they would do is they have, you know, speeches to prepare. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good and... point. So his first motion was <laughs> uh, throw my staff under the bus for not knowing how to print and also throw my staff under the bus for all having college degrees because we don't need those anymore to, to work in this office. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, look. I think we're still uh, trying to sort our way through that. Uh, meanwhile, uh, you know, the House is still locked in this um, effort where, you know, look, I think it's very, very interesting, like very interesting how you've heard Democrats repeatedly say Republicans are trying to deny justice. We're, uh, we're standing in the way of victims getting what they deserve. Meanwhile, Republicans have been the only ones who have been asking us to come back to session. Repeatedly. We want to get back into session. We want to start to work. Not one single Democrat has called for us, to, for Speaker Rossi to return us into session. This is Speaker Rossi's number one issue, his only issue. The issue is he said he will stop all other bills from moving uh, until this gets done. None shall pass. What? None shall pass. You make me sad. Um, and not one single Democrat has spoken up and said, yeah, we really should actually put a fire under this and get back to work. I totally. It's been it's been astonishing how quiet they've been uh, to just sort of allow this perceived stalemate to continue, which is sort of the way that the speaker has been um, framing this. Oh, they're both sides are at odds. I can't possibly get them to the floor because they agree on nothing. We completely disagree there. You know, the rules are are a minor uh, impediment to getting this done. The rules can be changed on the floor as as the session goes on, as we showed repeatedly through the COVID uh, pandemic. So to act like there's some giant roadblock and disagreement over rules, and it takes a special working group to get together behind closed doors to figure out how we could ever get to the floor is nonsense. Well, we've had our version of the rules out there. We've publicly uh, asked for Democrats to sit down with our leadership team so we can work on these rules. Right. Um, and, and we've put our rules and our changes to the current rules out there. We, we want to move ahead. Uh, we've made it very clear that we want to be in session and working, get this uh, constitutional amendment done, start the business of the people of Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, the Democrats just seem happy to grind everything to a halt until they can, uh, you know, this is essentially a continuation of their gerrymandering. They're gerrymandering the session schedule so that they can get uh, the majority that they feel as though they're entitled to, which three elections have not been held yet. Who knows how they're going to turn out? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and and then wait until then to, to do anything. Um, you know, this, I, it, I mean, <clears throat> color me shocked if, if this isn't true, uh, but I would be less than surprised if their uh, claims about us stopping victims from getting justice were anything less than genuine. Totally. Totally. Of course. No, you're, you're right. The, the proof is in the pudding and, uh, and, and the silence actually speaks volumes because 
for all of the urging that they would put forward against us uh, in previous sessions to act on any number of issues, now by their own accord, they've got, they had the majority, they, they gave it away, uh, and they have never once spoken about their own goals for the session. We've repeatedly told, uh, Leader Cutler has repeatedly said what his three top priorities would be to start the session. Three different constitutional amendments, including the one to address uh, the victims and provide that window. Uh, and now we've urged the Speaker and the Democrats to come back to the floor and get this work done, and they refuse. Just silence. Yeah, they, they absolutely refuse. This is, uh, let's make no mistake, there's only one reason. Uh, well, actually, there's uh, probably close to a dozen reasons why we're not in session. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Speaker Rossi and the House Democratic leadership team. <laughs> and and Gov Governor Wolf, in his last action as governor, he says, must get this done. This hangs over me. Uh, this, this, I can't sleep at night, this burden that, that, that burns inside that we never got this done. Please, I demand special session. You must come back. You must act so that I can fulfill my, my duties as governor and leave on a high note. We were on the floor for about 12 minutes, never even took the roll. Amen. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's it for Generally Assembled for this week. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, hopefully, with a new podcast where you can listen to, you find all your, this podcast or all of your favorite House Republican podcasts are found, www.pahousegop.com slash my podcasts. Also available on Apple, Google, Spotify. Good Jason, luck. bonus content. Uh oh. If you sat through the final spiel. Just one last thought on Shapiro yeah. that I think is worth mentioning in this, in this <clears throat> format, sort of a, uh, a, a stay tuned message that you and I have both talked about uh, when we're not recording. He, the governor feels very much like a media darling, you know, the way he was treated through the campaign and, uh, and the way he's even gets his invites on cable news. But as, you, as, a, as, as reporters are used to cover him, he was able to hide behind sort of the office of the attorney general consistently to avoid answering tough questions. He almost, as soon as he got to the point to ask something really hard about at one of his press conferences, which he was happy to have and, and very polished and good at doing, he could kind of say, can't comment on that. This is an investigation. You know, this is not something we can get into at this time. It was interesting watching the first press conference that the first tough question kind of arrived, and he went back into that mold sort of the way he was the AG. Hey, we're going to say as much on the, the subject of who paid for my party as I'm legally required to do so. Right. You are uh, following the law. We're going to continue following, following the, the law. law. Exactly. And right. I felt like, man, I've heard him say that repeatedly yeah. as the attorney general. So I just think it's something going to be something for us to watch and something the public should watch is how he sort of uh, responds to tough questions going forward. That's it. All right. We'll see you all next week. Beep, beep, beep.